me to our passage, the very opening words of the Bible itself, uh, found in Genesis 1, the first five verses. We are beginning a 15-part series on the book of Genesis today, obviously a book of that size and length. We're not going to cover everything uh, through the middle of September in this 15-part series, but we are uh, specifically looking at God's gifts in Genesis. And so let us read the word of God together, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Maybe you heard about the time when a doctor, an engineer, and a politician were having a discussion about whose profession was the oldest. The doctor waded in with his argument. He said, you know, those were very primitive times. I don't see how mankind could have survived without a doctor, without someone to care for the sick. So being a physician, that has to be the oldest profession. No, 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 said the engineer. You've got it all wrong. Don't you understand that before life began, there was complete chaos. Complete chaos, I tell you. And so... There had to be an engineer to bring some kind of semblance of order to all that chaos. While the engineer was making his argument, the politician just got this huge grin on his face. He said, you just made my argument for me. You said before life began, there was complete chaos. Mine's the oldest profession. I rest my case. Well, at least the engineer knows his Bible. And we know that's true because we just read Genesis 1 that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And while we do not see the word chaos in verses 1 and 2, that's exactly what these verses are describing. I mean, think about it. An earth without form and void, signifying the fact that it's formless and empty with no meaning or purpose. And then we read that darkness was over the face of the deep. That's a a chaotic scene for sure. What we have to understand is that in the ancient Near East, the existence of chaos was a real concern. Within their world, as they knew it, the raging sea and darkness were in in fact the forces of chaos because they were so unknown and because so many bad things happened in the ocean and in the dark. 
We can tell it continues to be a concern for people, ancient peoples, even up to and past the time of Jesus because that's part of the good news that John is giving in his Revelation chapters 21 and 22 when he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more. Do you remember what he says there? No more sea. No more ocean. And he goes on to say in chapter 21 that death is no more. And he goes on to say in chapter 22 that night is no more. In other words, in that new heaven and that new earth, there is no more chaos, period. And what we have described for us here in Genesis is not so much a battle against these Uh, against this chaos as if it's evil, but rather God's willingness to bring order and function to disorder, to this creation that lacks purpose. We see that God is in control and active on behalf of those He will create. And we see that this is a story, therefore, not about science, but a story about a relationship that God chooses to have with all that He creates and all that He gives to His created beings through the marvelous works of His hands that we refer to as creation. And our passage speaks of God's creation by using the Hebrew verb bara, B-A-R-A, a verb that's used 45 times in the Old Testament if the concordance is correct, And every single time, God is the subject. In other words, any time this word create is being used, this particular verb in the Old Testament, it is divine activity that is taking place. Something God Himself is bringing to pass. This is why Paul teaches, at least partly in Romans 1, that God's power and deity can be so clearly seen in the things that He has created because it's divine activity that's taken place. We can tell that God is God when we look at His creation and consider the things that He has made. And while God is always the subject of this particular verb. The objects of this verb are quite diverse. Anything from the heavens and the earth to mountains to mankind, even to a clean heart. You remember David's psalm, Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is divine activity. Only God can give a clean heart. We can't create one ourselves. So looking back at our passage, we see that God created the heavens and the earth, but there was no meaning, no function, no purpose. And then we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What an interesting statement. I mean, considering the fact that all of this has been about God. In the beginning, God. God created. God is the one who's working. God is the one who gives His Word. And the heavens and the earth are formed. God gives His Word again. Let there be light. And there's light. 
And Genesis will follow that pattern all throughout the six days of creation. But while it's still chaotic, we see God's Spirit whose activity is is sort of described here for us as a, a bird brooding over her young or hovering over her young, over these waters that Genesis mentions. And instead of that simply being interesting or strange sounding to us, we should see those words as a a signpost or a hint at at, at what God is about to do. Because any time we see God's Holy Spirit, He's bringing life or power or an ability to live the life of faith. In Job 33, for example, we read, "...the Spirit of God has made me and the, the breath." of the Almighty gives me life. In Psalm 104, the psalmist talks about how the earth is full of all of God's creatures. And he says, These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send your spirit, they are created. And maybe the most famous Old Testament picture of the life that God's Spirit is able to give is Ezekiel's vision of the valley of dry bones that we find in his 37th chapter. God set him down in the middle of all of these skeletons and said to him, Son of man, can these bones live? Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath or spirit to enter you and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. In other words, we need to remember that while the Holy Spirit has several different functions and responsibilities, bringing comfort is one of them, like Connie mentioned to the children. We know that He convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment because Jesus teaches us that in John 16. We know that the Holy Spirit helps bring to our remembrance what we have learned. Jesus teaches that in John 14. But that's not all He does, nor is it necessarily the most important Thing he does. On this day of Pentecost, when we remember the Holy Spirit's work in giving life to the church of Jesus Christ and giving it power, that's what we need to remember and see how God's Holy Spirit is always busy at work giving life to something or to someone. I mean, think about how we say in the Apostles' Creed that our Lord was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit giving life to the physical life of our Lord on this earth. Just like the Holy Spirit came that day on the day of Pentecost that Connie read to the children in Acts 2 and how those disciples who were all gathered together because Jesus told them to stay together, but also out of fear. How the Holy Spirit came and His great power entered into their hearts and lives and they went out and they proclaimed the good news of the gospel in the the tongues of, of all the people who were gathered there in Jerusalem from all of the parts of the world. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does, is give life. Most of us know that Jesus was involved in creation. We remember John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We know that. But we need to see that the Holy Spirit was also right there and ready when life was being given. That's what Genesis 1 teaches. As Charles Spurgeon put it, in the history of creation, the creation is described as the work of the Spirit of God and His Word. First, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and then God said, And creation took place. God's Word creates and gives life just as God's Spirit creates and gives life. Now I know that we've heard a lot rather quickly, so let's just briefly review. In these few verses we can see that God and the Holy Spirit, along with the Word, take responsibility for imposing order on this chaos of the heavens and the earth. We don't understand which member of the Trinity did which because Scripture doesn't give us those kinds of details. And it would probably be beyond our understanding anyway because God's ways are not our ways as His Word teaches us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But we know that God the Father and God the Son were involved and God the Holy Spirit. God demonstrates His power and sovereignty by bringing the world into conformity with His purposes for it. As New Testament scholar D.A. Carson puts it in his book, The Gagging of God, he creates in an ordered way and sustains and rules it in an ordered way so that science is possible. But he is not bound by what he has created. So he is at perfect liberty to do things another way with the result that miracles are possible. Notice he says there that God sustains and rules his creation in an ordered way. And I just want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that's what Scripture teaches? You see, that's an important question for us to think about because we've talked in here before how so many American Christians are what we might as well label practicing deists, meaning that, yes, they believe God created the world, but it was just like the the universe is a huge clock and God made it and wound it all up and then He stands back and He's finished with it and it just goes and sort of runs itself. That is not what Scripture teaches. As one commentator put it, the fact that we have sent God to the corner of the cosmos more often than not so He will not get underfoot is tragic. And the reason that's tragic is because God is God. He's sovereign. 
He's in control and He is so actively involved in His creation. Not just every now and then. He's actively involved in your life and in mine and in everything that goes on in His created universe every moment of every day. And it's also tragic because chaos still threatens this world. And it's not just the chaotic forces of nature like tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and hailstorms like we've had lately, but also chaos like terrorism, ethnic cleansing, political upheaval and starvation. As we look around in America today, we see the signs of social chaos all around us. Anything from abortion and shooting sprees at schools and universities to hate crimes and a decline in both morality and putting God's truth into practice. With all of this chaos around in our world and even close at home, surely we can see, <coughs> see the need of a God who is in control. Surely we can see the need of a God who's all-powerful and all-knowing. Surely we can see the need of a God who has a purpose and a plan for all of His creation. In his book, The Human Quest, Orthodox Presbyterian Church scholar Richard Bube discusses the sense in which God sustains His creation. He says the universe exists moment by moment only because of the creative and preserving power of God. And again, I'll ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that's scripturally true? You see, the theological term we might refer to this is providence. And providence refers to the way that God acts through all of His created processes, what we usually refer to as the natural processes of His world or His universe, whether in creation, nature, or history. Scriptural foundations for this can be found in places like Acts 17.28, which teaches us that in Him we live and move and have our being. It can be found in places like Colossians 1 where Philip was preaching from last Lord's Day where, where Paul tells us there that all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, in Jesus, that He, Jesus, is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Now hear that. In Him. In the power of God Almighty, all things hold together. Without His power, this world would collapse. Without His power, at this moment, I would fall down and die right on this floor. Because not only is He the way and the truth, but Jesus is the life, as John 14, 6 teaches. And His Spirit still gives life. As we think about the Holy Spirit, that's something we have to understand and keep clear. God not only creates, but through His power, He is the fountain of life. 
He's the source and essence of life. Dead matter, any kind of dead matter, even like those skeletons in Ezekiel's vision would remain dead if God's power did not bring them to life. And that means that God's power, which created this world in the very beginning and brought order and purpose to emptiness and confusion, can not only change our hearts and minds and make us into new creations through the reconciling power of Jesus Christ, as Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5, but also that His power at the end of time can bring our dead bodies out of the graves or wherever they're found and reconstitute them, re-transform them into glorified bodies. As Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 6, 14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Or think about Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through His Spirit which dwells in you. Now I don't mean for this to be confusing. I mean for this to be the good news of the gospel. Do you hear that? Do you hear that good news? The gift of God's Holy Spirit the one whose purpose is to bring life, dwells in you if you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus. And He not only saves you in this world, but He will resurrect you in the world to come, to live eternally with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the good news of the gospel that regardless of what type of chaos we encounter, even death itself, God is at work giving life. God is at work in His creation through His power and He's still, still in control. Twyla Paris, probably 25 or 30 years ago, wrote a, a song called God is in Control. And she says in that song, this is no time for fear. This is the time for faith and determination. There is one thing that has always been true. It it holds the world together. God is in control. We believe that His children will not be forsaken. God is in control. We will choose to remember You hear what she's saying? We'll choose to remember. Regardless of whatever chaos comes into our life, we'll choose to remember and never be shaken. There is no power above or beside Him we know. God is in control. Or as God Himself puts it in Isaiah 45, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who formed the earth and made it, I am the Lord. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in chaos. 
I, the Lord, speak the truth, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God. And there is no other. May He enable us by the power of His Spirit to do just that to turn to Him all the days of our lives and be saved. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father,